it simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. Hey everyone, Mike here. Please be advised that this episode contains some explicit language. As always, grab a cup of tea and thank you for listening to the Tea with Mike show. Please welcome to today's episode of the Tea with Mike show, Elizabeth Lerner, who has 25 years of clinical experience in mental health, including in issues surrounding drugs and alcohol. Elizabeth has a Bachelor of Science degree in speech communication and sociology and a master's degrees in social work from Florida International University. She became licensed in the year 1998 and is a qualified supervisor for those seeking Florida licensure. So welcome to the Tea with Mike show, Elizabeth. Awesome to Thank have you. you here. Thank you for having me. Like we were just talking about a couple of minutes ago before we started recording, mental health has been a theme of some previous episodes here and obviously right. a very important subject. So really excited mm-hmm. to hear your experiences and your perspectives. But before we go any further, obviously... Big shout out to Dr. Laura Alec for connecting us together. How did you guys meet? Actually, we met at a rehab center. She was actually my boss. Oh, and that's she, awesome. Yeah, so she, I would report to her on certain cases and things like that. So we just started, you know, we chitter chatter about each person. And so even though we're colleagues and, you know, share the same types of experiences, she was, they have like different levels, you know, in the corporate world. So, but I don't work there anymore and neither does she. So. <laughs> and I'm sure you guys don't keep in touch, obviously. Otherwise oh, we would absolutely. be like talking. Yeah. We're both, we both, we're both sticking, you know, working with our private practices and we, we talk a lot. So. Fantastic. So can you start by telling everybody where you grew up and what you call home now? Right. So I am actually, I was born in New Jersey because <laughs> people say, oh, were you, you know, are you Florida native? And basically I am. I grew up in Florida. My family moved here when I was two years old. I'm going to be 51 next month. And so my whole life I've lived in Florida pretty much. I went to school here, grade school, high school, went to college, grad school, started my career, and let's fast forward, here I am. I'm still here, still standing. So I grew up in West Palm Beach, Florida, until I was about 12 years old, and then my parents decided to move to Palm Beach, which is five minutes. Like, if you go over the bridge east, Palm Beach Island, so the north end of the island, so my whole pretty much middle school to high school plus years was spent a lot of time on the beach, Lots of freedom before cell phones, lots of autonomy, a great way to grow up. Went to school down in Miami, not too far from Palm Beach. I lived down there, you know, lived my college years, got the education, and then decided to get my master's degree. So after going to four years at University of Miami, which is pretty costly, my parents were like, go get a degree at... uh, (laughs) You know, maybe one of the state schools. So FIU was a very rigorous program. It was research-based. And that's where I graduated from, actually top of my class, which was surprising because, you know, I wouldn't consider myself the most academic person, but I really enjoyed my studies because I believe that people that have passion in something, that's how successful they become. So if you really, truly love what you're doing, you're going to become very successful because that's where your heart lies, right? So... After I got my master's degree, I studied for my licensing, and a lot of my training actually was with a special needs uh, population, which often people call the hidden population, right? Because people don't, back then, you know, 
people didn't pay attention to them as much or kind of would like kind of shove them in a spot. Now, as we see in 2022, you know, special needs is we talk about things all the time. You know, the word autistic is very popular. And I work with countless people who have been diagnosed. Back then it was called Asperger's and now they kind of just threw it all into one diagnosis, which is autism. But I love working with people, any kind of population. I believe that people have so much that they can do to better themselves, whether you have a some sort of deficit, a cognitive, physical, whatever it is. My job is to help people reach their potential. So I know I'm kind of jumping around, but I was working many years down in Miami at a place called Easter Seal Society of Dade County. And it was a beautiful experience. I met tons of friends, lots of professionals. We would laugh all the time. We had the best time working with a team of professionals with some serious cases to just like hanging out and, you know, after hours and just just having a good time. I'm good people. And then I met my (laughs) ex-husband. We met on a blind date. He was living in Dequesta, which is north of Miami, way north, kind of near Jupiter area. And we were set up on a blind date. And we got engaged very quickly after about seven months. And then my life kind of changed. I left Miami. I left my life. I left everything. And I started another life up here. So that was really interesting because my passion was Miami. I loved Miami. I loved the people. I had friends. I had a whole life. But I figured that, you know, at age 26, you know, it was time to settle down. So the whole script of what women are supposed to do, right? We just don't have a career. Now we move into the whole, you know, let's be a wife. Let's maybe be a mom, right? So I followed that script and have two fantastic kids. Really found myself struggling in some ways as far as who I am as a person and following all my passions because I left part of my heart down in Miami. Um, What I changed it? No, because my kids are amazing and I love them dearly. And we're like, the three of us are like super, super close. Awesome. But my career. So getting back to that. So I started a private practice in 2009, but I always worked part, like a couple hours a month at a hospital. I worked, you know, doing a couple, you know, you know, having my hand in a couple things, but then my practice took off and then just grew bigger. So here I am. Also, and we're going to definitely dive a lot deeper into, like, obviously the growth and how you got there and obviously really make use of your expertise in the industries. But let's just take it back. So obviously you said you grew up outside a lot of time on the beach and stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you had to reflect on your entire childhood, basically, Mm -hmm. what what would you say were maybe like the top one or two like childhood memories that you had and why? Oh my gosh. Freedom to leave the house and no one knew where we were. (laughs) We would make up our own games. We would make, I call it old school fun. We would just like entertain ourselves. It was just like finding coconuts and like throwing them into the street or like, just like, just like getting into some sort of random mischief that was just kid stuff, you know, laughing. and, And we would walk to different restaurants. We were like eight, nine years old. Like who does that? Right. Um, nowadays you would never let your kid leave the house like that so our parents had no idea where we were and then you know when we moved to Palm Beach and and a lot of time on the beach you know it was just like uh like a gigantic playground right so people would come over we'd hang out we'd have picnics we'd walk for you know 
hours on sand. We'd, you know, find all kinds of things on the beach. And there was interesting things, you know. Some things were not so great. Sometimes you'd find, like, weird things like needles and drugs. Oh, and we're like, yeah. what is this, you know? You're, you're just a kid. You're like, what is this small bag of white powder? Some very strange things. And then, you know, some, some unsavory things, too. You know, people trying to talk to you and you're just a kid. You're like, why is this grown man talking to me? So there were some good things and bad things, but mostly those things are what shapes you as a person. But I think my fondest memories were just being free without, you know, anybody watching you, checking on you or tracking you. you know, there's just like a lot of just, you know, loose ends that just make you who you are. But then on the other side, it's like it was a different generation. So. Right. Yes. So you enjoyed the freedom, a chance to explore, like mm -hmm. build some really like close friendships. And obviously it sounds like you were lucky enough to grow up in a great environment with great mm -hmm. like with with beaches just like right there not everybody mm -hmm. like, obviously like has that and stuff so to be able to just go swimming at a drop of a hat or to sunbathe or, or whatever that, that just sounds right. fabulous and it have its yeah. drawbacks as far as sometimes the culture of the beach people you know you hear about people on the beach you know growing up in florida we have a lot of surfers here so of course being a young female and i was boy crazy you know it was you know, that's another thing, you know, dating and meeting people and, and, and learning how to, you know, date. We parents didn't talk about that, you know, meeting boys and, and then there were parties on the beach. And so there was always like people were, you know, drinking. Now remember, we're just kids. So drinking age 21, right? So having drinks at such a young age and knowing what that feels like to be drunk, you know, overdoing it, you know, so that comes with all other things too, right? So you know, I got myself into, you know, a touch of trouble at times, which is, you know, I've got a, several stories about that. So it wasn't always great, you know, that I've done some pretty stupid things in my life. And who knows, I'm, you know, I always say I'm lucky I'm alive because, you know, anything could happen. You know, you hear these stories all the time. And I think that's what kind of made me want to work with people and especially right. young people, learning how to make choices and making decisions and having proper guidance as far as, you know, making those decisions. Is this a good idea? You know, I think back then too, certain parents, they just didn't really talk about certain things. We didn't talk about certain topics. It's just, they just didn't. We didn't talk about sex. We didn't talk about drugs. We didn't talk about alcohol. We didn't talk about relationships. It was kind of like a free for all. So, you know, we can think 1980s, you know, the 1980s, 1990s parenting style. So now, of course, you know, when I raise my children, I tell them everything. Right. And they're just like, mom. I'm like, and they're like, when I tell you great kids, like they're just, I'm not saying perfect, nobody's perfect, but they're like, if they, they haven't even done like a hair of what I've done. So, yes. <laughs> so like, you know, I'm very grateful for that. But at the same time, like you say, a different generation, d different stereotypes, like different mm -hmm. things going on. Media played a different role. There's there's a lot more like education aspect in place these days and resources and no social media either. And that too, right? Thank God. Can you imagine? We'd all be arrested by now. <laughs> <laughs> and then so on the school side, what were some of your kind of favorite subjects and why? Oh, I love this question. My favorite subject was lunchtime or recess. So you were very social? You just like oh hanging gosh. out with your friends? You like I to was talk? I was to make the friends. I could have cared less about the academics. I swear, it was just like, my head was like, if it wasn't fun and exciting, it wasn't going to happen in my head. I think also like sitting still all day long is not for me. And I think that's what makes my job every day. My job is different every single day. I can't sit still all day, but I don't think it's normal. And that's why so many kids are diagnosed with ADD 
um, attention deficit disorder. So it's hard to focus all day long sitting without moving, right? So I empathize with a lot of students and I, I do work with a lot of high school students as well as college students. I just think it's a very different type of world we live in. But growing up, it was like you would have to sit all day long. So, you know, unless it was exciting and I had a great teacher, I was pretty much not really able to focus. So I did a lot of doodling, you know, writing. And... Yeah, on the, on the paper in front of you. Sure, sure. Yeah, because it's like, I think it's all in the teacher too. Just like in any oh, kind of profession. Sure. The teacher is not exciting. And trust me, I've had some really good teachers and those were probably my favorite classes, right? Me too. Um, yeah. It wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't matter what the subject was. If they're entertaining and they're fun and, and they're pulling you into their audience here, you know, you're going to be paying attention, right? And you're likely going to remember and learn. So my favorite subjects, I don't really, I mean, I, I don't, I don't really think I had any favorites. <laughs> But, in, but my favorite subjects moving forward, because we didn't have a lot of these subjects, remember? Oh, okay. Back then. Now in all the classes, we have humanities, we have sociology, we have learning about different kinds of cultures and things like that. See, I love, I'm a people person. So I, I'm very intrigued by different types of people and how they think and behave. So that's kind of where, you know, when college started and I was able, you're able to actually pick your classes. So I think that's, that's why I love college so much, because you get to actually pick your classes. And then, of course, graduate school. That's all about your profession. So that's why I always tell people I love being an adult, because being an adult, like you get to make your own choices. When you're a kid, you you know, it's like, OK, this is the school you're going to go to. This is the thing you're going to do. This is what there's not a lot of individuality as a child, because your parents usually try to raise you the way they want which is a whole other topic. And I think that's why a lot of kids have problems now because we're individuals. You can't just like raise your child and think, oh, they're going to think like I do. They're going to eat like I do. They're going to socialize. They're going to date like I do. They're going to vote like I do. They're going to drive the same kind of vehicle. They're going to dress like I do. We're not cookie cutter people, right? No, we're all unique. Right. Very unique. So I know I'm talking all over the place, but... That's good. No, I totally get what you're saying, that you thrived, like, later in life when there was more flexibility and, like, choices. And, mm -hmm. and like, you acknowledged there was probably less choice back then for, like, school subjects than there is even now with all, like, like you said, humanities, psychology. Oh, sure. So different. Yeah. So different. Design technology, all those sorts of things, yeah. Right. I mean, it's great that society has evolved. And so in school, you can actually learn different things that are intriguing to the person. So it's not just like, okay, this is the subjects and that's it. So that's why a lot of the different schools that, you know, they offer different classes that you can take. So we are evolving all there. There are certain areas like math and certain types of testing that they do that cause a lot of stress to people that it's really, I don't believe I think they should get rid of because not everyone's it's 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 very outdated but that's another topic <laughs> so who or what inspired you to study for a bachelor of science degree in speech communication and sociology from the university of miami well let's see let's start with that so i originally started in the business program at university of miami and that's, that's the program I got into. So I originally started in this program. And then when I got to calculus, I was like, this is really hard. Okay. This is really hard. And something in me was like, I can't do this. So, and the backstory was, is I was at the pool at University of Miami, which is like a social area. 
I'm in a bathing suit, put my clothes back, you know, over my bathing suit. You know, I'd already been in the pool for probably like an hour. I get to my calculus class. I'm thinking to myself, this is really like not for me. I just can't do it. So I left the class and then I walked over to the business department, withdrew from the business, whatever you call it, whatever the major was, my business major. I walked in, dropped it, and then I marched myself right over to the School of Communications at University of Miami. And then I changed my major. That was probably the first decision I ever made without telling my parents. Okay. So that was like a pivotal moment in my life where I was just like, I can't, I am not a math person. I have no desire to be a math person. I'm a people person. So I walked over, did that whole thing, went to a payphone because we didn't have cell phones, went to a payphone, called my mom. And she was like, you did what? And I was like, yes, I did. She's like, well, what will you do with that? And I was just like, I'm, I'm not really sure. Maybe I'll go to law school or something. So she calmed down, whatever. And I was like, oh gosh. So then in one of my classes, in one of my communications classes, we had to do some sort of, uh, we had to interview somebody. I had a double major, so it was communications and sociology. So my sociology class, we had to interview somebody that would inspire you. So one of my mom's friends, who is actually a therapist here in Palm Beach County, uh, we did a whole interview and everything she said to me was like spot on. I was like, that's what I want to do. So she is a therapist, she's in private practice. And so what she explained to me was, is that every day is different and that you have a huge, a vast amount of choices. You could work in a hospital, you could work in for the police department, you could work in a school, you could work in a um, private practice. I mean, endless amount of things you could do with the degree that I have. And she was 100% correct. So I, you know, after graduating for you, from University of Miami with my degree in communications, I went and got my master's degree. So that's kind of how it all works. So I feel like the path and how I got there was meant to happen the way it did. And I mean, people that are good at math, you know, math and business, God bless them, because that's a special type of brain. I don't have that kind of brain. My brain does not think that way. I'm terrible at math. Don't ask me about anything to do with math. But what you can ask me is, is how do you help somebody who might be suicidal or somebody who may have a serious relationship issue, somebody who's in a bad state of mind, somebody that's depressed, somebody that you got to talk off the ledge. I'm like a detective. I can pull everything together and help somebody. So I love my job and, and you know, I'm always up for a challenge when people say, how do you do it? It's just, you do it. And it's just, like I said, every day is different. And, and I, I'm, I like it. I enjoy it. So. Oh, and then just quickly going back for a second. So you left the business degree path, mm -hmm. but how did you decide to walk over to the School of Communication and Sociology? Did you just instinctively walk there? I'm in it. I'm telling you, I was like in jean shorts, a tank top. I had a bathing suit that was like sopping wet. Okay. My backpack. I was just like this little girl, you know, I'm five foot two. I walk over. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm doing. And I did it. And I was, they didn't, they didn't think anything of it. They're like, no problem. So I was just like, great. So I was so elated. And that's when basically the rest of my career, you know, the, the start of learning and understanding how people, you know, between the sociology and the communications, it was like a perfect fit. So I don't know. That was like one of those days I was like, I guess, I don't know the word you would say people have, I guess, like gumption or nerve or, or, or balls or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I just like marched myself over and I was like, mm -hmm, this is what I'm doing. 
and I didn't care. I just did it because I did. was, no one was going to get in my way. And it turned out really well in the end. <laughs> you sure did. passionate yeah. about what you're doing, right? So that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, I, you well, know, I don't really think about these things, but when I look back, you know, I always remember exactly where I was, how it happened and what I did. And then the fallout, like, oh gosh, but Luckily, there was none because I was afraid of my parents. You know, they, you know, back then you do what they say when they're looking, right? <laughs> when they're not looking, we do what we want. But as far as like the academics, right. I was scared. Kind of a little bit more of that, like that you were referring to earlier, that kind of traditional approach, right? Yeah. Right. And so the one gift my parents, I mean, they gave me many gifts, but one of the main, you know, one of the, uh, giving your children the gift of education without any kind of uh, debt. <laughs> was huge. So my parents, you know, always paid for all my education. And so that was kind of the thing where I was kind of scared, but it all worked out. Awesome. So what was the most memorable learning experience that you had specifically on the speech communication and sociology kind of degree course? And why was it memorable? Well, like I said earlier, you know, people are, I mean, there's so many different types of people. I mean, so many different kinds of cultures, uh, beliefs, societal norms. I mean, you learn about what makes people tick, right? So that was, I was like, that was my element. So if you ask me my favorite class, it would be sociology. The communications degree was kind of just like a vehicle to get to my master's program because I double majored. So, I mean, the communications part was like, it was a great program, but it wasn't like my favorite, you know, it added to who I am, you know, my you know, obviously my experience, but we had to do a lot of group projects and things like that, which I don't really like doing because I don't really like sharing <laughs> unless the person's like easygoing. But back then they didn't care. They're like, this is your group project. And I met a lot of people that were like, it's just very annoying and waiting for people to get their stuff done and turn in. And then your grade is dependent on it. So it's kind of like, I didn't really care for that in that department. I don't know what they're doing now. It's still the same. Like, it's been a while since I went to college, but there's still lots of, and I took a media and communications course and still a lot of group projects. And same mm -hmm. thing for me, it was a battle sometimes just with who I worked with, like le levels of commitment. Mm -hmm. I, hate, I hate getting the same grade as someone like that. That's like oh, the I worst know. concept going. Yeah. And then, so you meet, you know, during, when you're in a group setting too, you actually learn a lot about people's personalities and you're just like, oh my gosh, like I would never in a million years pick you as a partner, but we had to do like a reflection paper of like, oh, how did you feel working with the group? Well, I wrote the most heinous letter, type, type, type. And I think I got a C plus on it, but I did write how I would cringe every time I'd see my partners walk by. I don't think the professor cared for that, but I think I was like just getting a little bit like I didn't give a shit, excuse my language at that point. I just kind of wanted to tell the professor that I did not enjoy the project and I still shouldn't, I shouldn't have gotten a C plus for saying how I felt, but that's a whole other topic. I don't think that you should get uh, penalized for saying how you feel, right? So that's a whole other topic. We talk about censorship and things like that in 2022 but back then yeah like just even just turning in a paper saying how yeah. you felt then getting a c plus like it's a feeling paper how do, why do you get a grade on a feeling right it shouldn't kind of be graded in the first place <laughs> right to be everyone is just gets your feelings are your feelings period you don't get graded on it no so that's kind of strange but what can you do right exactly awesome and so today's key fact for the episode is you should in theory at least always use fresh water 
and avoid boiling the kettle twice before making tea. Oxygen is lost from the water during the second boil, which can give your tea a flat taste. And that comes from teahow.com slash 100 facts about tea. Do you like tea? I'm not a huge tea person. I'm more of a coffee person, but there are special teas that I like to drink. More like a cleansing or a relaxation type of tea. Mm -hmm. So for you, tea is more, like you mentioned, just when you want to relax or like kind of reset versus the way I drink tea, which is probably Mm -hmm. I drink like at least maybe three or four cups of tea a day, right? You know, so it's definitely in my like daily routine. Mm -hmm. Also, do you have a recommendation for someone looking for kind of more of a cleansing type of tea? There was a special tea that I used to drink when I was younger. They still make it. It's called Special Treasure Tea. And so that's a good one. That's a good one to have, but don't overdo it or else you might get in some sort of trouble. Okay. (laughs) We'll leave that off topic. Awesome. And so you you go through university, you you do the degree. And so can you tell us what happens after you kind of leave university? Now you've got your qualifications and then you become a licensed clinical social worker. And so what were kind of some of the challenges of becoming licensed? And what did you kind of learn about yourself in the process? I mean, I think getting back to what I was mentioning earlier, like if you find your passion, you're going to be good at it, right? You're going to be successful. So in this field and working with people, my one of my biggest passions is advocating for people. So when I first started, I was working at an agency, so I did not get to make decisions. I was just a worker. So we'd have meetings. And so, you know, learning how, you know, just because you speak up and say something doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. So really finding my voice, whether they like that or not, which actually the president, may she rest in peace, she didn't really like it, but everyone loved me. So I find that people, it's like high school, right? So when you work at an agency or you work in an organization, it's like you've got different roles, right? You've got different players and that never never really changes. So I guess I would always be like the outspoken, you know, like bubbly person. And so a person who's insecure might be intimidated by that. So they're going to be kind of the bully, right? So my boss is kind of a bully and she'd have to say, have the same, you know, the last word or whatever. And you know what? I just let it roll, you know, and I never would take it personally because I don't really care. I'm there for the client and to advocate for their needs. So learning how to just keep going and persevering. I guess I learned a lot about that working for an agency. And then when I started fast forward, you know, working for myself, I mean, I'm my own boss, so I do what I want. And I'm always advocating for people always. So it's a multifaceted job. It's not for everyone. I think go big or go home, you get a lot for what you experience in therapy, for what you give. So if you're paying to come see me, you're going to, and you really want to work on yourself, you're going to get a lot for that. If you come just because someone told you how to go and you don't really want to be there, then you know what? I start where you're at. You don't want to be there. Fine. You don't have to. We'll just chill and you tell me what you want to tell me. And, but then they end up telling me everything. So it's, it's, it's like a whole (laughs) You know, it's a whole system. You know, you have to make the person feel comfortable. Right. So that's the most important thing, establishing a good rapport. Because people, you know, they're going to tell you some pretty serious things. A lot of times they tell you things they've never told anyone before. So, you know, I'm honored that people would come to me to, for me to help them with whatever they're going through. So, but I prefer to work for myself because it's just better. I don't really like the corporate world at all. I think there's just like a lot of things that I just don't like it. 
Cool, and I think we've established that so far you flourish best in the the environments like where you have like the, the most control. You can make your own decisions, and that's when you can make the I guess the the most impact to helping mm-hmm. th- those people that like come to you, your clients, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty pretty powerful when you can make that decision with someone. Then I don't have to ask anybody. We just do it. Also, and so in your bio, you mentioned that you're a solutions-based therapist. So maybe could you expand on maybe what you were just talking about? Talk, mm-hmm. maybe give some specific examples how you help people based on their needs in their certain situations. Sure. So basically, you know, I'm a solution focused. So we're always looking for a solution. And so when someone comes in, you know, I always ask, you know, like, what is your main, like, what is the main thing? that you want to work on? Like, what is it that's bothering you today that we have to kind of navigate through? So, you know, there's lots of layers to people's issues and things like that. So basically, you know, whatever's the most crucial problem at that moment, we, we, we kind of conquer that first and then we kind of go through everything else. But I work at everyone else's pace. I don't, I'm not a pushy person either. Like I'm, I, don't, I don't beg people to tell me things. So they usually just like let it all out. But it's definitely, I don't let things linger as far as like some people say, okay, they want to talk about things that happened, you know, 40 years ago that maybe that person really doesn't want to talk about. And then that person gets turned off and then they don't want to come back. So I don't do that. Some people are like, okay, every Friday at 10 o'clock, you have to be here. I don't do that. I tell them when you want to come back, you call me. And if they want to book the appointment right then and there, they will. I'm more of a, I work around all my people. So it's not like the pressure. So I think when you take the pressure off, that's when people are like, oh, I got to call Liz because she, you know, I need to talk to her. So every day is, I never know what my day is going to look like. I may have like three appointments set up, but I could have two extra calls that I have to do, or I might have to go do a home visit. So Every day is different. So this type of position is not a salaried position. This is a, you know, I work based on around all my people. So I never know what my day is going to look like, and how, <laughs> you know, but it's, 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 it's very uh, rewarding as people say, rewarding when you see people conquer whatever problem they have, but it's also challenging because sometimes you see people and they make stupid choices, you know, so I'm like, why didn't you call me and tell me that? That's also cool that you work in different environments, like you mentioned, sometimes you might be in your practice or sometimes you might go visit them at home. Any particular reasons for the environments? Oh, sure. Some people just don't want to go to an office. They want to be in their house. They, I work with a lot of very high net worth individuals and they don't want to be seen. And not that mental health should be a stigma, but some people associate that with, oh, I have a problem and I, depends on how they look at it, you know? And then, you know, we live in a very small town here in, uh, I live in Palm Beach Gardens. I live here and my office is here. So we have, you know, a lot of people know each other and, you know, a lot of professionals know each other. So I, I work with a lot of professionals, so I can go to their home. I can go, I do a lot of FaceTime. So sometimes people are at their summer home and they need a session. So I, you know, I, all over the United States. Also, sometimes people are in Europe. Wherever they are, they can find me. And then sometimes I get, you know, asked to go to people's homes. Maybe it's a court order and they have to have a therapist because maybe they've been in trouble with the law. So there's all different kinds of reasons why I might do a home visit. So like I said, every day is different. I never know what it's going to look like. I also take people out places. So we do what I call kind of like a 
exposure therapy. So say they're like have serious social skill issues. I might take them out for like to like, you know, for coffee or tea. I might take them to a restaurant, especially after the whole COVID nightmare that we all experienced. A lot of people who had social anxiety before, they're like now even worse. So just going to a restaurant, being out in society and being around people is part of a therapy. So I use all different kinds of techniques that I use. So, you you know, whatever the person wants, but we're not cookie cutter people. So I look at the individual and I say, you know what, this is going to be good for this person. And they can either say yes or no. And usually they say yes, because I'm with them. It's not like that they're by themselves. So I'm with people every step of the way. And I, when I tell you, I have seen people move mountains. I mean, they have, they're like totally different people now. So that's the best part. You know, that must be like rewarding because like you said, everybody's different, a lot of challenges. How do you personally kind of deal with people throwing all of their vulnerability and their issues and that onto you? Like, how, how do you keep your like stress levels normal? Well, like I do for everybody, you know, tell people you got to have, you know, your downtime, you have to make time for yourself. People know I am not a morning person. Do not book an early morning appointment because I need my rest. So I set what we call boundaries. So I don't, the old me would have been like, okay, I'll do it. You know, at maybe like eight o'clock in the morning, the new me is like, listen, that's not going to work. So I kind of reset myself by, you know, spending time at home with my kids being in my own environment, which is my home, my dog. I, I love to laugh. My kids will do a lot of laugh. You know, we watch TikToks. We make TikToks. We, we take walks in the neighborhood. We go to the pool. We go take rides. We go to restaurants. So I guess spending time with my kids relaxes me. I spend some time with some friends, family, things like that. But I'm working on some more, you know, taking care of myself. I like to shop. I like to, I love makeup. I love style. So I try to like, that relaxes me, you know, just doing a little shopping and, but I would like to take up maybe like a new sport or something. Okay. (laughs) So I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be, but kind of like breaking out of my own shell too, because, you know, it's time to amp it up a little, just like I tell other people, because I'm so busy working that I have to take time to reset and do something that compliments me and that resets my soul, I guess you could say. So if I'm not happy, it's not going to be good. So I, everything I tell my people, I do for myself too. Right. And now that every single job you can do in the world, your job is probably one of those jobs where you do need to kind of practice what you preach as much right. as possible. Oh and- yeah. Sure. It's like, um, guys, I can relate because I know what it feels like to feel a little touch crazy. First of all, nobody's normal. Right. I mean, whatever normal is, I don't know what that is, but if you have feelings and a heart, you're going to experience different kinds of emotions, unpleasant ones, because you're a human, right? So you have to be kind to yourself. So there are going to be times where I might not be myself because maybe I, I went through a divorce. I'm sorry. I have a life too, right? So- right. That was very challenging. Practicing what I preach, yes, I have boundaries. If I can't do it, I won't. I won't say yes to things that I don't want to do. 
So there are a lot of things that I do practice. I think one of the things I need to do more of is maybe branching out a little bit more. And because what happens is you get caught up with work, right? And then remember that term that people used to use? Work-life balance? Yep. How about balance is like, so which is a whole reset. other yeah, this is a whole other topic, though, because as a mother, right, we have responsibilities to our kids. So if you're divorced, um, the divorce may not be something that you anticipated, right? So now we have to do even more, 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 more. So there's nothing that I wouldn't do for my kids. That's awesome. So it's, it's challenging at times because I do want to spend more time doing other things like vacationing and things like that. But I'm working on it. I'm working on that balance. Well, all I can say for the outside is it sounds like you're heading in the direction in the sense that you've identified what needs to be worked on, what needs to be fixed, and it sounds like you're you're making progress. Yes, that's actually one of my favorite words is, is if you can identify, I use that word all the time, if you're able to identify what is it that you're concerned about or what is it that you'd like to see more of, right, then that that's that's the beginning, right? So I, I identify with, I would love to have some more fun. I, when I tell you I'm a fun person, other at a work, like I love to dance, I love to sing, I love to laugh, I like to, I just love to be just myself, which is a pretty upbeat person. So I'd like to see more of that. I like to see the real me come out more often. So I can't be like, okay, guys, tonight we're going here. Oh, wait, no, you're a patient, a client, or whatever you call it. No, no, you can't do that. I'm kidding. It's definitely a balance. Okay, so in your bio, like I referred to at the beginning, you mentioned that you have 25 years of clinical experience in Mm -hmm. mental health, including issues around drugs and alcohol. So how did you specifically become involved in, in, in this area of mental health and even working with people that were struggling with drugs and alcohol issues? And what do you think you've learned from your experiences working in this area? Well, I think that a lot of times people, the underlying, we have like an underlying root issue. So when someone comes in and they, I ask them how they deal with certain things and they're like, oh, when I get home, the first thing I do is I, you know, start drinking whiskey. So a lot of times, a lot of people that I've worked with over the years, they use alcohol as a coping mechanism, a numbing. I'm not even necessarily saying maybe the, the, we call, I call it alcohol misuse. And then when we fix the root, right, they're like, Liz, I haven't touched alcohol. I don't crave it. I don't want it. I don't need it. You know, I see a lot of people like that. And then I have people that they have one sip of alcohol. They're down. They've gone down a whole other. They've gone back down that rabbit hole where they they need to get back to a rehab. They need to go to detox. They have I mean, they're really I mean, like serious alcoholics. Uh, drugs. I've seen many people pass away over the years because they drink themselves to death or they overdosed. So I think that alcohol and drugs have always been around. I think with society and the more stress that we have, the more apt people are to reach for those substances and then misuse them or overdo it or become addicted again. So I've always had people with, I wouldn't say all of my clients have had issues with alcohol and drugs, but I'd say they're a large handful who have, and it's a struggle every day. So when they're down, I tell them, you know what? As long as you're sober, who cares? So what if you didn't get this or that, or this didn't happen, if your house is messy, or if you, you know, didn't get asked out on a date, 
as long as you're sober, it's a good day. Right. So, you know, everyone has different things that they reach for. There are other addictions other than alcohol and drugs. Sometimes people are addicted to people, dating, um, gambling, sex, shopping. So there's a lot of different types of addictions that people use to kind of numb whatever pain they're going through. And that can pretty much that can turn into a whole other problem. So we kind of just identify the root and try to fix that. But addictions are real, you know, food. I mean, it's just, there's just so many different kinds of addictions. People literally stuff their feelings with food or, you know, just drown themselves in alcohol or, or just smoke all day long and just pop pills, whatever it is, but they're not living. They are, they were, they're avoiding because the pain is so intense. So we kind of dig in there and figure out what the problem is, deal with people, a lot of people who, who have been abused, uh, sexually, physically, emotionally, so it's, it's, it's tough. So the pain is just so excruciating that they just can't live with it. And so they just kind of drown themselves in it. But I think once they find somebody that they feel comfortable talking to and that it's okay to talk about these things, they can start healing and growing and not reaching for substances because we can't fix our past. We can't. No. It's already happened. It's our job to fix today. Right. And then moving um, into the future, right? Right, sure. I mean, the, it's already happened. So it's our job to heal and grow and mend and try to fix whatever our uh, the dialogue in our head is about. And I always tell people, you know, your mind is not always your friend. It's not. The things that people think in their head may not even be true. Right? They're just thoughts. So that can be powerful. So I do a lot of what we call cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what we think is how we're going to behave. So it kind of goes together, right? So changing those thoughts around, you know, when people say, oh, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm disgusting, no one's going to like me, I'm stupid. Well, now they're going to feel terrible and their behaviors might reach for alcohol. Right. Start smoking again or doing destructive things, right? But if you're like, wait a second, you know what? I might not look good today, but you know what? I'm going to go get a haircut and I'm going to go take care of myself. And you know what? I can do this. So now all of a sudden you feel like, oh, I feel a little better now, right? And then you're able to execute and start moving forward instead of just destroying yourself. Right. So it's about creating those good habits and kind of building that like self-confidence. Oh, it's like a circus in my head every day. Because what I tell you to do, I do every day. Right. Every day. You know, instead of saying, oh, my gosh, I have so much to do today. How am I going to get? Hey, you know what? Today's a new day. It's a gift. And whatever I get done, I get done. And if I don't get it done, so be it. Everyone can wait and I'll do it tomorrow or whenever I get to it. So it's really building your confidence, right? your self-esteem. Some people have no self-esteem at all all they don't believe in themselves so i do a lot of that a lot of helping people build that confidence which we call social skills awesome and then so in, in your opinion what are kind of some of the biggest misconceptions people have about mental health issues surrounding drugs and alcohol well i think that people with you know misconceptions of, you know, they're a loser or that's only for like low class people or, you know, those are for people that are weak. I think that's 
I mean, these people that I work with, I mean, these people are smart, successful. They have families, they have jobs, they could be an athlete, entertain in an entertainment. I mean, these people are just like everybody else. And I think the biggest misconception is that people think that if you use alcohol or drugs or you're an addict, that you're some low life loser. You're not. You're a person who's struggling just like everyone else. And so there's a lot of pressure for a lot of people because people get judged every day. And then again, it's like, who's the judge? Who's, I mean, like, who is someone to say, oh, well, you must be weak. Well, unless you have, if you've ever struggled with an addiction, you know, they need to mind their own business and keep their mouth shut because it's like a monster, right? And it's a struggle every day. So people need to be around like-minded people to learn that you're not weak. You're not, this is not a joke. This is a sickness, right? You know, a disease. They cannot help certain things because if they could, then they wouldn't have been there in the first place, right? But there's all kinds of, you know, therapy and, as, you know, and if they need to be properly medicated with the right medications, you know, there's a lot of different things that people can do to conquer and beat and beat it. So I think that's the biggest misconception is that oh, you, you work with those people. Oh my God, what are they junkies? What are they? And it's just like, um, actually, no, this person is probably one of the most famous people you've ever met, successful. No, this person you see every day on ESPN. And oh, no, this person, you know, you shop at their store every day. And I mean, everybody is human. So right. I try to do a lot, a lot of education. I educate people. I put people right in their spot because I don't like judgmental people because unless you've been through it yourself, keep your mouth shut or be supportive and and kind. Fantastic. And so media plays a role in kind of the information that we consume. And you yeah. often see coverage um, on challenging issues such as mental health, drugs and alcohol. So mm -hmm. what are kind of your thoughts on how they portray these difficult I mean, the media is another topic because, you know, they don't really know. It's just one one, one component of, of exposing people, but they don't really know, like, what really goes on. I think the media needs to do, instead of blowing it up and making people feel badly about themselves, I think they need to do what we call, like, more education and prevention, you know, especially with mental health. If you, you know, if you're having trouble with, with, with drugs and alcohol or any kind of addiction, it's okay, you know, let us help you instead of saying, oh, well, there they go again. And oh, they can't, you know, they can't get off the sauce or whatever people say. You know, I think the media would be more, it would be beneficial if the media was a little more positive and we had more of that because a lot of times we see too much negativity surrounding it when, you know, there are people that do beat it. And that's positive and inspirational that, hey, if you're struggling, there's help out there. You are never alone. So it, I guess it has a, it's 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 positive and negatives. The media. Um, I'd like to see more positive. Usually the media can show something people on their worst day, right? I mean we're all human. So what happened two hours ago could be different that could happen in three hours, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So just kind of more positivity, sharing some of the success stories. Like oh, sure. Yeah, I'm actually going to be working on a project about something that's going to be 
kind of around this topic, more of an inspirational, positive type of thing, because I feel like people do watch media. People love watching, you know, different shows about things that maybe they could find help for themselves. Not everyone can afford therapy. So when we watch a movie or a TikTok or, you know, we, we read a post on Instagram or something, that could save someone's life. 100%. Okay, so what overall advice, I know I know you've touched on it, a few key messages so far, would you give to anybody struggling with or struggling to acknowledge that they have uh, mental health issues? One of the most courageous things that a person can do is reaching out for help. There's always help available to just either call, like here I know in Florida, we have a number called, uh, it's 211, and it's for mental health. There's always someone listening if you're afraid, you know, you can call anonymously and things like that. But I think for somebody that's struggling and, and, and needs help and is watching this or, or, you know, it takes a lot of courage to say, you know what, I have a problem. And a lot of times people, people that have the most problems are the ones that aren't going to call. Because those are the people that we see are professionals, our doctors, lawyers, nurses, teachers, police officers, mail lady. I mean, every single person you see every single day and they look like they're fine, those are the people that are like, oh gosh, you know, what if someone finds out? So even the therapists, you know, I mean, everyone's human. So I think making that call, you know, getting online and trying to find someone to, to, to talk to is probably the most important thing is just knowing that somebody is there to help you and not to be afraid. Um, I get it. It's probably the hardest call to make in your life. But when you do it, it's like, they usually say, God, why did I wait so long, right? Once so you got over kind of that initial hurdle. Right. Okay. So if somebody's struggling right now and they need and they want help, you know, if they don't want help, you know, that's okay. They'll know when they're ready and maybe they won't get help. But if they do want it and they're, you know, they can find somebody that will, will help them because, I mean, there's so many of us. That's why we have this profession, to help people who are afraid to say, it's okay, we, I got you. Awesome. And then, so do you want to expand a little bit on what's kind of next for you personally and professionally? Yeah, sure. So I'm working on some advocacy things myself with social media and some possible, you know, upcoming documentaries and things like that. I have a lot of great ideas and a lot of inspirational things I like to share with people. So whether it's through social media or writing a book, things like that, you know, I have a lot of my own things I want to do. So professionally, I mean, there's just endless, but it's going to be something in entertainment. Um, that's what I'm working on in social media and advocacy. That's kind of where I'm moving towards in addition to what I do now, because that's one of my passions is advocating, but on a bigger level, social media. And then personally, I'd like to travel. I'd like to do some fun things. I'd like to explore. I love music. I love, I want to change the scenery, maybe see some mountains or something, <laughs> laugh more and spend time with my kids and maybe we'll see we'll see what we'll see what life what, what life has in store for me but I definitely want to live the second half of my life trying new things because life is short you know it's like why not what's a couple of countries kind of on your travel bucket list 
I'd like to go, I'd be really interested in going to like Switzerland or Sweden, France. Um, I've been to Italy twice, which I love Italy. I mean, there's so many different cultures. I'd like to just, I'm not, not really into sightseeing, but more like kind of like, like, a, like absorbing kind of what people do. I'd like to- Oh, like the locals? Mm. Yeah, and just kind of see how, I don't like rushing and doing things like that. Yeah, I'd love to see different some different countries. I'd also like to explore here in the United States. I've never been to like Wyoming or any of these states, you know, Utah and some of these, you know, there's just so many different things and lifestyles and, and, and even Nebraska. I'm like, who lives in Nebraska? But people do. So I'd like to see what they're doing. <laughs> so it, that's what's so great about life is that once you realize that there's more to what you're doing in your little bubble here, right? It's like, ooh, I never tried that. And that was fun, right? And off the show, we've had this conversation several times on the Tea with Mike show, just how many like hidden like secrets there are in your like local area. Because mm-hmm. you're right, hey, we, we go to the same grocery stores. We typically mm-hmm. do like the same same activities each day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if all the things you need are in like a square, you, you don't live beyond a square or a rectangle. And that's it's kind of scary at times, actually, if you really it think is. about it. It is. It's very tedious and if you're a fun person being doing these same things over and over like you know like rote behavior get up it's not fun so you want to get out of that you know once in a while it's good just to get out of dodge you know and just go get out of town as they say right yep let's do it also well thank you so much for being on the show you are so welcome. I mean, I have so many topics for you and I'm always happy to share with you on air, off air, whatever you want to do. I have so many great different, you know, experiences and topics and things like that. And it's not even just about therapy. It's just about like people in general. Yeah, it's fun. It's just, it's just, you can't make these stories up. So, but it's all good. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, everyone, this was another great episode of the Tea with Mike show with Elizabeth Lerner, really focusing in on the importance of mental health and some of the stigmas and kind of challenges surrounding these challenging topics. If you enjoyed Elizabeth's story, make sure you check out some of the other great stories of guests from people all over the world at teawithmike.com and on all major podcasting platforms. Thanks again, Elizabeth. It's the Tea with Mike show.